and welcome to the latest episode of the Extra Extra Read All About It podcast. And I'm delighted that my guest on this episode is the writer Katrina Child, who, Katrina, my uh, calculations are right, you're making your third appearance on the Read All About It podcast. I know, that's, that's quite good, isn't it? I don't know. Um, obviously, Chris Dolan's probably got the record for appearances, but maybe um, I don't know. I don't know what place I come in the rankings. I think you're now up to, to second, and then I thought that's you made your hat trick. And normally, <laughs> when you see TV programmes, usually if somebody comes on their show three times, they give them some sort of gift or trophy or something. Unfortunately, I'm going to put it down to the fact we're doing this remotely. <laughs> it's just a kudos you have. Yeah, um, I know I get to keep the match ball or whatever. Exactly. So, obviously, what we've done in the, the extra extra episodes, it's more just a case of chatting books and things that you've read, things that you're going to be reading, etc. And I know when, when you and I spoke just before Christmas and, you know, you found the first part of lockdown, I remember you saying there was times when it was maybe challenging to get into reading the same way. And I know some people have found that and, and also with the right as well. How have you found, obviously, after we spoke and we're into the, we're into the second, uh, the lockdown in the start of 2021, how have you found that in terms of your reading and writing? Yeah, it's actually been not too bad. I've been on a bit of a roll uh, with, well, writing's been good, actually. I started writing a new novel at the start of the year, and I've been making myself every night write for about a half an hour, at least to an hour. Um, so that's been going really well. And then also the reading's been fine as well. I kind of got into the habit of me and my husband just sitting at lunchtime and reading at the kitchen table. So it'll be a bit strange maybe when he goes back to his work and stuff. But yeah, we've got this kind of wee routine going at the moment. It's quite nice. Sometimes I think it's certainly it might just be habit forming whether it's the reading or the writing because interesting I was interviewing Gordon Brown the writer not the politician who writes books also as Morgan Cry and he was telling me his writing routine so he's writing full time he gets up about five half five every morning and then writes about his target is to write 2,000 words a day and I was like whoa that's pretty impressive. That is impressive yeah I get woken up by my children that early so I can't really do much but um yeah, in the evenings when they go to bed, I've been trying to do a bit of writing and I've been kind of trying to do a thousand words a day if I can, but I don't always manage that. But as long as I've done a little bit, then then I feel happy. I mean, to be fair, even I mean, a thousand words a day, is, I think it's still a really good kind of target to aspire to. I, I write kind of longhand when I'm starting out, so I kind of think four sides of A4 is kind of like a good target to get to, I think. So are you still on doing the, the longhand just now before you start transcribing it? I've just kind of finished transcribing the first wee bits that I wrote um, so I've been doing that and I've kind of put it all into one document now and I've actually I'm surprised I think I've got about 70,000 words so I'm actually quite surprised that I've got that much I mean a lot a lot of it's total nonsense but it's just having those words to start with you need something to start with don't you um, otherwise you can, yeah you can play around with it and tidy it up so I'm quite pleased with that. Excellent. No, listen, I am I'm very impressed and uh, given how much I enjoyed, and I've told you before, your first novel, I'm looking forward to at some point when, when the next one comes out. No pressure. Well, hopefully there's another one. Hopefully there is one coming out this year because I'd written one kind of, it's taken me about five or six years to write the last one, but the publishers have it now and they, they're looking to publish it this year. So yeah, that, that all looks like it's going in the right direction at the moment. So there should be one out this year, hopefully. Excellent. And can you tell us anything about it, even the, the title or anything, or is that all top secret at the moment? It's okay. It's called it's called Us Versus the World. There's a few things they've said I'm not allowed to say about it, but it's called that. It's kind of about a mother and a son dealing with grief, but it's also got other aspects to it. It kind of looks at drugs cheats within sport, that sort of side of things as well. So that's what, it, what it's kind of about. Excellent. Uh, well, I love the title, so you're already into a winner with that. <laughs> In terms of these podcasts, what we... Kind of often started off just doing is, is chatting about books that we've read over the, the past month. Um, this podcast goes out in the last day of every month. So I don't know if you want to start and just just even have a chat through some of the things that you've been reading over the, the, the past month. Yeah, um, I've probably not read as much as you, but um, so I have read As the Women Lay Dreaming by Donald Murray, which I think was mentioned on one of your podcasts recently, but somebody else had mentioned it to me on Twitter and because I kept, you know, when you keep hearing things a number of times, you're like, I need to check that out. So it's about the Isle Air disaster on the Isle of Lewis. Just really sad, these guys coming back. They'd survived the First World War. They were coming home for the final time. And then the boat went down on New Year's Day, just off Stornoway, I think. And then over 200 of them were killed. And it's just a book about, it's kind of about these two kids who go to stay with their granddad and their granddad was involved in, in the disaster. And it kind of touches on the fact that how this community was affected by it and nobody really spoke about it after it happened but they were all kind of carrying this 
horrible thing inside of them and, and all affected by it. And it's really poignant at places, you know, they have the men sending telegrams home to their family saying, you know, we're, we're going to be home in the morning, we're getting on the boat now. And then in the morning, these women woke up and they were, they were kind of just washing up on the beaches, these bodies of, of all these guys who were coming home. And he kind of touches on the, the truth, like it's a fictional story, but he touches on real characters in it, like real people who were involved in it. So there was one guy who, when they knew the boat was sinking, he, he tied a bit of rope to the, the ship and then swam to shore um, through the stormy seas in the, in the middle of the night and, and then held on to this rope so the other ones could get off by kind of using the rope as a pulley to kind of help themselves to the shore. And he, he was apparently responsible for saving like a good load of guys. Like I think most of them who survived was, it was because of that guy that swam to shore and it's just it's, it's really sad because you're kind of reading it and you know what's going to happen so it's one of those books where you're like oh I don't want this to happen but it's also it's not just the the kind of the disaster it's the story of the grandfather as well kind of living with this sadness his whole life and not really being able to to kind of talk about it or deal with it so that was really good I really recommend it even though it's a bit of a, a sad subject. Because I know uh, I know Chris Dolan's spoke about it a few times and because it always struck me and, and I think maybe going to what you just said is the fact that you know even that local community didn't talk about it it's probably a story that even now isn't as widely known in Scotland because it's, I mean, it's a kind of, I think it's maybe the worst peacetime maritime disaster that's ever struck Britain. But probably loads of people, if you told, if you said to them, have you heard of the ILR disaster, they wouldn't know. Yeah, well, I actually hadn't heard of it. I went to Lewis for the first time in 2016, I think, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of it because we saw a kind of monument to it. And then it was only because they had the 100th anniversary of it it was a bit more kind of prominent. There was a few things on Radio Scotland about it. And one of my favourite musicians, Ian Morrison, he's from Lewis and he had been commissioned to do like a whole musical piece for it. So it was kind of in the news end, but you're right. I don't think it's very well known. Definitely, definitely not. Yeah, it's definitely one I'm going to, I'm going to have to read. What, what else is on your list? Um, I read um, In the Beginning There Were Answers by Roddy Wimble, which is like a 25-year book about Idlewild, 25 years of Idlewild. So it's all, it's kind of like a glossy book with lots of photos that he's taken over the years, but also he's written the kind of the story of the band based on his kind of journals, I think, that he's kept over the years and how, how they progressed from playing wee clubs in Edinburgh to kind of the band that they are today. So, so that was good. Yeah, as a fan of Idlewild, I enjoyed that. And anything else? And I only read one other book because it was massive. It was like 500 pages or something. And it was called as The War on Truth by Neil Mackay, which is a he's a Sunday Herald journalist. And it was actually all about the war in Iraq and all the kind of events leading up to it, which was kind of for research. I read it at the time when I got it, which was a 2006. I think it came out. The book I'm trying to write just now has got a little bit of the Iraq war in it because I'm kind of setting it at the late 90s, early 2000s. So it was really for research for that. Do you know what's interesting, just when you're, when you're talking there about, you know, where you're setting your novel, I've been writing a couple of things, one set in, in the long distant past, but also something more contemporary. I haven't started writing that yet, I'm just thinking about it. But I'm thinking, right, I need to set it pre-pandemic because otherwise it's a totally different, it's hard to write, I think, a novel, contemporary novel, after the, the kind of pandemic's hit because it, it affects everything. So I'm trying to think when I set it far enough away, close enough to the present time, but far enough away that all this hasn't affected the, the narrative yet. Yeah, that, that was kind of my thinking as well, set it in the past, but a kind of past that I'm, I know, so that I'm kind of a bit more familiar with it and yeah, trying to try to take myself back to that end of 90s, kind of early 2000s kind of time. People do like this kind of nostalgia thing, don't they, going back to, to yeah previous times. So hopefully there will be a, a surge for that after this all finishes. Well, in terms of seamless links, talking about nostalgia, then the first book I read, I think I mentioned it on the last episode of Extra Extra, it was a, a memoir by an American writer called Elisa Lorello called Friends of Mine, and it's 30 years in the life of a Duran Duran fan. So obviously, as a big Duran Duran fan, <laughs> I wanted to read it. And it's a brilliant memoir, actually, because it's one of those books where, and I, I've kind of I've interviewed her, and I'll, I'll speak about that later in, in this podcast, but I was saying to her that although Duran Duran's a thread that runs through the book, but it's actually, it's a memoir about her life. And it always it always strikes me that people who write memoirs must be quite difficult because you have to be really honest because you're kind of letting people into your life and bearing your soul a wee bit. And, but it's brilliant and, and for fans of the band, but also I think for anyone, it's, she's written this really captivating memoir. But I mean, I, must, and it, I think if anybody puts Duran Duran in a, in a title of a book, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> Oh, that's it. I think music as well, doesn't it? Music is always kind of there in your life, so it kind of has that thread. It takes you back. It's maybe easier to go back to your memories when you when you think of a music that was there at the same time. Again, sticking with music, 
and and I always have to say that uh, we haven't rehearsed this, but these are just these seamless links <laughs> links keep coming. Uh, I read a, another book I'd read. I just picked up because of the title called it's called Mixtape by a woman called Jane Sanderson, and it's just it's a kind of romantic novel of it's basically two young people who kind of fall in love when they're, they're just at school. And then something happens to basically separates them and they go and live their own separate lives. There's obviously mixtape sets it when they were teenagers at a time when that's what you did. You would make a, a mixed cassette tape and it was a kind of, I suppose, a sign of affection or whatever. It was a kind of sense of telling somebody who you are by your music tastes and what you thought of them. And then it's years later how they reconnect and it's through music and what happens to, you know, what's happened to them in intervening years and, and what happens in the course of that through the music. As somebody who remembers with affection mixtapes, I, I really enjoyed that. That sounds really good, yeah. I enjoy good mixtapes as well. I used to make loads when I was a bit younger. I was actually thinking about throwing some mixtapes into what I'm trying to write just now as well, but I wasn't sure if... I can't remember when I actually started getting CDs. I feel like I had tapes for ages. Do you make playlists then for, like, say, either for your husband or for friends or whatever? Because it's still something... I, I still love making playlists and just sometimes on a Saturday night just sitting in, in the kitchen and just listening to a playlist. Yeah, well, it's, it's only really something that I've got into recently because, like, we're we're quite old-fashioned in this house. We still buy like the physical CD and, and things like that. But it's only recently that I've got kind of like a streaming thing on my phone where I can actually. Ju- it's much easier to just kind of make these playlists up. So that's what I've been doing at the moment. And I've actually been trying because I'm writing something in the '90s. I've been trying to create a playlist as I go of songs that I feel kind of sum up what I'm trying to achieve in that book. So I've got one of those, and yeah. I was making a, a 90s one and then and whenever like I listen to the radio and I hear a song that's good I, I've got one that's just like radio recommends and, and sort of these one-off songs that you just hear on the radio that you really like just make a, a radio recommends playlist so uh, yeah I've got the playlist but I'm quite new at that. Other books that I've read Margot McQuaig who is a friend of mine who's been on the podcast a couple of times she's written a novel called Almost Then her second novel which has just come out uh, which I would thoroughly recommend I also read a book which was a recommendation from a guy called Neil Lancaster on the podcast. It was a book called Orphan X by Greg Hurwitz. It's kind of, I suppose, in the vein of the Bourne films, that type of thing. It's like just real, it's non-stop. The other non-fiction book I read uh, was a book called 1982 Brazil, The Glorious Failure by a guy called Stuart Horsfield. And it's basically telling the story of the, the Brazil football team in 1982, which there's ongoing arguments where they're the greatest team never to win the World Cup. They just played what would be called the beautiful game. And he tells the story of what happened and why, well, some of the reasons why they didn't win. And I was 15, 16 at the time of that World Cup. And I, I remember being devastated that they never won it because they played football the way that you kind of almost would dream that it should be played. And it was quite, I think, for football and for football fans, it was quite heartbreaking when they when they didn't win. And he was slightly younger than me, but he remembered that's what made him fall in love with football. And it's a brilliant evoking that period of time. And the other two books I read, one was called Love After Love by Ingrid Perso. It's a, a book set in Trinidad. And it's written in the very much in the, the vernacular and the style and the cadence of Trinidad speak. So it takes it just takes a wee while to get your year adjusted to it but then when you do it works really well and the other book I read which is just coming out in May it's a book called Circus of Wonders by Elizabeth McNeil who's going to be coming on the Read All About It podcast she'd written a book I think a couple of years ago called The Doll Factory which was a a bestseller so she's written this book set in 19th century in the world of Victorian circuses and so-called freak shows it's an amazing book really is absolutely amazing and the interview and, and the podcast is really good as well so that was me for the so far in, in April. No, that sounds good. I mean, I've I've heard of the doll factory. I know exactly what it looks like, the cover and everything. I've never read it myself, but I think it is the sort of thing that yeah, I would be interested in, in reading. Because one of the things when we were just corresponding before doing this podcast, then I was saying, you know, one of the things I was just kind of curious to ask you, but we're recording this just a couple of days before bookshops reopen in Scotland, and I've obviously seen with some envious people's pictures and what have you posting from elsewhere in the UK because bookshops in England opened a wee bit ahead of us. So I'm really looking forward. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting in and buying some books, but I'm also just looking forward to that experience of just getting in and browsing and just wandering around a shop full of books, picking things up and putting them back down. And but I do have a list of things that I want to buy immediately the shops open. Yeah, I've, I've got lists everywhere. I kind of start lists and then I lose them and I start new lists. I've got like post-it notes with books written on them and then lists on my phone. And a lot of them are probably from listening to this podcast as well. But 
the problem when I get in a bookshop I always my mind just goes blank I always think what books did I want and my mind goes blank so I end up buying something completely different but you're right I think it's really difficult to shop online for books unless you know exactly what book it is you're after like you, the thing about being a bookshop in that a cover will take your fancy or a title just kind of you'll just say oh what's that about and pick it up and look at it and then you can you can come away with something that you, you'd never heard of before just by browsing around a bookshop so yeah it'll be good when they reopen the list that I've made on my phone it's already beginning to frighten me because I just keep adding to it and I'm thinking <laughs> right, I'm not going to buy them all there's two or three that I was to get the first one it's a book called Leonard and Hungry Paul by a guy called Ronan Hessian an Irish writer and it's meant to be this kind of really gentle book about kindness and and love and I listened to a podcast again we'll talk about about it later and this the podcast and I'd listened to it was a book club in Ireland and this was their book and then they were interviewing the author and just the way they engaged with him and and how he spoke about it and I thought it just sounds it just sounds wonderful so I'm definitely want to get that do you know the book vouchers thing online caboodle the caboodle thing you can sign up for it and you get points if you enter competitions and things like that yeah. online so they sent me a free five pound book voucher the other day because I'd amassed so many points because I never win any of the competitions but I've amassed so many points so I've got a five pound book voucher so not only are the bookshops opening but I've got a five pound voucher to spend as well so I quite fancy buying the young team I think is it Graham Armstrong that wrote that I keep hearing yeah. lots of really good things about that and I think that's coming out on paperback soon so I think I might buy that next I heard a couple of interviews with him and he's, he's really interesting and I heard him talking I think with um, Douglas Stewart there was a whole thing was it masculinity in Scotland there was a, yeah. a an event about that which was really interesting they were both talking and I've heard loads of stories about people especially people who he maybe hung around with when he when he was younger and they've never read in their lives and they're picking up these books and they're seeing themselves on the pages and in their own language like you say and and it's, it's getting them to read so that that's always a great thing isn't it the other the other one that I want to read it was a book that was recommended to me by uh, Martin Gregg, who's a friend of mine, and it's a book called The Tender Bar by J.R. Mooring, I think it is. It's a memoir about, it kind of explains it's like one young boy's struggle to become a man, and I'm not really sh- exactly sure what it's about, but he did, he texted me to say that was his book recommendation, and he said if I didn't like it, he would eat his hat. So <laughs> I want to read it. I've asked him what kind of hat it is, but he's really good with book recommendations. You know, like you get some people who, they kind of they, they kind of get to know the kind of books you like or just things that will challenge you. So Martin's given me a few good recommendations and he was absolutely raving about that. It's almost a shame if you do like it, though. That... <laughs> well, I was going to say I'm tempted just to say I don't like it to see if he'll follow through with his promise. The other thing I was going to ask you about, and I know that you, from speaking to you before, you're a massive fan of libraries. And obviously they're starting to open as well. But there was a, a kind of slightly concerning thing there was news in Glasgow. Like, so Glasgow Life's the organisation that run all the kind of libraries and social and leisure facilities and there's certain buildings and certain things that aren't going to reopen. And there's a couple of libraries, which I always think is a real sadness. I think libraries should be one of the last things that we ever close because I think they're so, I think they're so important to so many people. Yeah, well, I, I always champion libraries. I, I don't think, as I keep saying, I don't think I would be the, the writer or the reader that I am today without my library because, you know, I read so much as a kid that there's no way my mum and dad would have been able to afford to keep up with all the books that I went through and also all the different ones that you could try. And I read so much and, yeah, the libraries are so, so important. I mean, I, try, I tried to take my kids to the library when they were open. I've actually still got four library books in here that I got out in February of last year before everything happened. And I feel really bad because I've still got them. I get, I get panic every time I look at them, even though they've obviously cancelled all the fines and things. Because I always think it's, and again, from any time you hear anybody talking about their memories of libraries, it's, it kind of gives that sense of legitimacy to reading. But also, I think for children, quite often, it's probably the, it's one of the first places where you're treated as an individual not as a grown-up, but you're treated as an individual with your own opinions and tastes and it allows you to explore reading. And as you get older, you're maybe reading books that are slightly older than maybe you should, but libraries allow you to do that. And I think that's such an important thing for anyone, even if you don't develop into like a lifelong reader. It just gives you that sense of your own identity. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that that feeling when you when you go into the adult section of the library for the first time, actually, and you kind of step out of the children's section, it's like a kind of formative thing, I think. There's this whole world of books out there and you can go anywhere with them. Yeah, I just think they're so important. And even just like 
like because my daughter used to go to a gymnastics class and and it was in the same building as the library so I would just take my son to the library and we would just go and sit there for an hour not doing anything just looking at books we wouldn't take any out and nobody came and said oh like, you can't hang around here for an hour what are you up to they, they would just let you sit there and and I think that's another thing as well it's a place you can just go and it's kind of like a refuge maybe for some people as well so save our libraries and support, <laughs> support our libraries and uh, hopefully when well obviously when you do give those books back thankfully you're not you're not a lot of master fine the thing is, I've not even read any of them because they were the ones that I got out just before everything happened and I, and I, I just couldn't read. And I've kind of been too scared to go back to them because I don't want to be in that headspace again. So therefore, books sitting there I've not even read. So it's, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> well, as I said, what we do always on this podcast is I just play a wee snippet of the latest podcast and then also the one that's forthcoming. And I mentioned already that the latest one is with Sarah McMullen, who is a STV news reporter. So here's just a wee clip of the chat, the book chat that I had with Sarah McMullen. The author that I was obsessed with when I was younger is Jacqueline Wilson. And I just have such distinct memories of being by a pool my sister this wee bronzed beach bum jumping in and out and you know full of the holiday braids and me sitting under a parasol with prickly heat and a t-shirt on reading Jacqueline Wilson like with a calippo you know so I, I was absolutely obsessed with her and that's what I did um, I just sat and read all day I, I loved it because I mean she is a phenomenal writer just in terms of not only just the fact that her output I think she's written over 100 books but the popularity that's spanning different generations. Yeah, because even when you asked me to pick a childhood book, I was like, well, I'm going to need to choose a Jacqueline Wilson book, but I couldn't choose one. Because I even, I phoned my mum and I was like, mum, what would you say was my favourite book when I was younger? And she was like, well, you loved um, The Dustbin Baby, Tracy Beaker, Girls Out Late, Girls In Love. She was just listing all of her books. And yeah, she's, I think Jacqueline Wilson is to eight-year-old girls what, Marion Keys is to women in their 40s you know and I mean that in the in the the best possible way and that they write in a way that compels their their audience and tells them stories that they know they want to to hear and to know more of. It always strikes me that one of the most difficult things to write must be kids books because you have to get it right because they're probably children are the most critical probably the most receptive but the most critical audience and if if they like something they love it but if they don't like it they'll tell you so for her to be that successful, she obviously, whatever she's doing is just phenomenal. Yeah, the thing about Jacqueline Wilson books is that none of them are particularly happy. You know, they're, they're not like a, a Roald Dahl book where you're, you're taking on this big journey of imagination and there's rarely a happy ending. You know, what, what she does is she tackles quite difficult subjects. You know, one of our, like the, the dustbin baby, that's about a girl that's literally abandoned in a dustbin. Tracy Beaker, she grows up in foster care. And they're, they're quite difficult subjects for children to grapple with, they're quite gritty topics. But she puts the characters alongside things that all children go through and so can relate to, you know, like the struggles to, to fit in at school or trying to impress a particular group of friends. And then that way you're drawn into the story, but at the same time you're learning of experiences that are maybe really quite different to your own upbringing. So, yeah, she's really good. Katrina, we, again, one of the things we do on this, just kind of chat about some book news that's caught my eye. And the thing that, that caught my eye recently uh, was Disney, that are they're starting a new adult imprint for books. But how do we look at it? And I, I think some of it, they're looking for people to maybe reimagine it in adult form, some of the kind of classic children's fairy tales or, or stories, but also looking to branch into kind of adult stories. I'm guessing with a view to then they uncover some gems, which then they then probably own the film rights and turn them into films. Yeah, it's funny because it never really occurred to me that Disney would publish books, but I suppose they do everything else, don't they? I actually, I want to write a book, but I don't know how we do it, about, have you ever seen the film Tangled? <laughs> about Rapunzel, you maybe not seen it. But no. I always think, because in it, this woman steals Rapunzel, obviously, because she needs Rapunzel's hair to keep her young in the film. And so she keeps her away in this tower and she brings her up from a baby to like a teenage girl and Rapunzel thinks she's the mother and then at the end she breaks out and everything like that. 
but I've always thought that that character is really fascinating that woman who brings up this baby because I was like she must have some sort of emotional connection if you bring up I'd like to think if you brought a baby up to like a teenager you would feel some sort of emotional connection to them whether you were just using them or not for your kind of own gain and I've always been fascinated by that character and I keep thinking how, how could I write a thing about her but maybe I can do it for the, the Disney imprint <laughs> I don't know she's always fascinated me with that that side of her because I'm guessing that you know once Disney have had announced that and I, I'm not sure if they'll whether it be an open submission thing or whether they'll just do things through agents but I'd imagine they will be absolutely yeah. submerged with submissions because I think if you got Given Disney's global reach, I think if they chose your book to publish, then that's you. Yeah, that's you made for life. You'd be sorted, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You'd be sorted, wouldn't you? I did because I, I read a bit of it as well, and I think some of it was maybe people who already kind of associated it with it. But I think some of it, as you say, was kind of open submissions. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what comes out of it because I mean, like Star Wars, for example, since Disney have taken over Star Wars, there's all these different like stories, like taking just single characters and going off and exploring their kind of journey and I, I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan so I quite like some of that side of it other times I'd rather it was left a mystery like I was a bit when they did the Han Solo film I was kind of a bit like oh, I love Han Solo I'm not sure I really want to know his backstory I kind of like the mystery of it but I actually did quite like it when they told the story I did quite like that film so I guess there's those kind of interesting sides to it. I mean, I think if you were being really cynical, obviously Disney paid a lot of money to take over that franchise. And so they've obviously done that with a plan to think, well, how do we recoup that? So they're obviously going to branch out, as you say, and tell individual stories because every Star Wars film that comes out is a cash cow for them. Yeah, and then there's all the stuff that goes with it, isn't there? There's all the merchandise and the as you, all the books and, and the clothing and everything. So yeah. It's a huge thing, and they've got all, they've got the Marvel ones now, haven't they? Because we got the Disney Plus channel just because it's got all the the Star Wars things we wanted to watch, the Mandalorian, but it's also got all the Marvel films. I, I've actually never watched any of those, but it's these big, massive franchises that, as you see, make so much money. They've got so many fans. You've got to be careful, I suppose, because they've got some really, really dedicated fans, and if you do the wrong thing, then you're in big trouble. One of the again, one of the things that I've, it was partly in the back of you know that bookshops reopening libraries reopening and it was just that idea of do you either borrow books of people or do you lend books and would you lend any book or are there certain ones that mean too much to you and you're maybe worried if you lend them you're never going to get them back well yeah I have because my sister uh, I'm going to name and shame my sister here I've had two experiences with her where I've lent her books one of them she dropped in the bath and the other one she put in her bag on the way to work and a plum burst and ended up with plum juice all over my book and to be fair to her she did actually buy me new copies of both the books but I was like that's the pitfalls of lending your books to someone but yeah I I think I'm a good person to lend books to because I think I really look after them and I'm also really like I don't hold them for ages if someone gives me a book I'll read it straight away because I don't like I don't like being kind of beholden to someone like that so I'll give it back to them straight away but I mean there's books I wouldn't lend to anybody so I've got books that are signed by authors and things like some of them like Terry Jones I've got one signed by Terry Jones who's no longer with us and Molly Hunter who was like a kid's author that was one of the first books I ever got signed when I was a kid so I would never lend those because you can never replace those and and then I've got a book that my dad so my dad was an extra in the film Kidnapped with Michael Caine and was when I was eight I was in yeah when I wow. when I was eight I was in hospital and um he knew like I love books so he brought me a copy of Kidnapped when I was in hospital and inside it he wrote from the man who starred in the film and so I would never give that away either just because it reminds me of being in hospital and my dad's given me this book and it's got his inscription in the front of it so yeah some of these books they're they're, they're irreplaceable really. That is an impressive post <laughs> that your dad can make. I know well you don't really he's just a wee white dot so at the start there's like a kind of a Culloden kind of set piece and he's like on horseback in the background a wee white speck. Listen, I am, I'm very impressed because <laughs> I find I don't like borrowing books of people. In fact, I never ask to borrow a book. If somebody, you know, sometimes people will, will give you a book and I, I don't like it. One, because, you know, you kind of feel that like you should read it right away and then you're under pressure to to give the book back and you're kind of thinking, right, well, I need to keep this under good condition. Because I remember years ago, I, worked, I used to work at Evening Times years ago and I gave a guy a, a book and he had it for ages and then he, he brought it back. And honestly, I thought he'd, he'd jumped up and down on it about 10 times before he... I mean, it was the most battered thing. I barely recognised it as the book that I had... Because I'd given him... Because sometimes I've given a load of books to people in work and they always slag me off because my books are always kept in good condition. And a lot of times it doesn't even look as if the spine's been... Well, the spine's not been broken because I, I don't really bend them all the way back. But this this book had been absolutely wrecked. But um, 
I don't like because then, you know, after a certain point, you think, I need to give this book back and I need to read it. And I, I don't like to feel like that, that pressure. Yeah, I don't like that either. And, and then on the opposite, if you give it to someone, then you're like, I really want to ask for it back. But does that make me seem like I'm a bit of an idiot? Like, have you, have you got my book? Can I have my book back? <laughs> yeah, so I must admit, when I was a kid, I did borrow a book from my friend. And it was a Spike Milligan book of poetry called Unspun Socks from a Chicken's Laundry, I think it's called. And I still have that. And I, feel, <laughs> I still feel guilty whenever I look at that copy of that book on my shelf. I'm like, that's not my book. <laughs> Are you, are you still friends with that person? Well, I kind of know her on Facebook now because uh, we were friends in primary school and then we, we went to different schools after that. So I don't know her that. Uh, like she lives she lives down in England now as well. So she's not close enough for me to be able to just give it to her. There's probably, probably a wee bit of a, you know, that way when she's <laughs> thinking back to her childhood. Every now and again, she'll be thinking, remember that time I gave Katrina that Spike Milligan book of poetry? <laughs> I, I know I'm now at the point where I, there's just certain books you know that way, as you say, if you get to the point where you want them back, I just don't give them out in the first place. Because any book I give out, you kind of accept it, maybe they won't come back, and that's fine, because then they go on somewhere else, they're on some sort of journey. But it's ones that I want, yeah. I would rather keep, that I, I just don't lend in the first place. Yeah, no, that's true. There is something nice about that, actually, isn't there? There's the books that go out. There's the thing, the book fairies, you know, the book fairies who will just leave books lying around for people to pick up and they say, when you read it, just leave it for somebody else to, to pick up. And I quite like that idea of these books going on journeys like that. I do quite like that. But yeah, not if they're, they're one that you, you really like. Yeah. Um, having said that, though, people lend me books like The Road. Uh, someone lent me that. I gave it back to them and had to go and buy my own copy because I thought it was so good. And then someone else lent me The Goldfinch, which I might not have read otherwise. But they lent me it and, and I thought that was a brilliant book as well. So sometimes, yeah, someone lends you the book, you discover these ones that you might not have picked up otherwise. I suppose the other thing is that every now and again, you read a book where you think you really like it. You think, oh, so-and-so will like that. And you want to give them it because you, you know that they will enjoy it. So you just you just kind of say, right, pass it on. And there are certain books where you end up buying copy after copy because you keep giving them away. Yeah, and then I let you say the disappointment if they don't like it, because the other thing is if you lend a book to someone and you think they'll really like it, and then they just don't read it, and you're like, have you, have you read it yet? And then they're like, oh, I've not read it yet. It's like, oh, but you'll really like it. Please just read it. And yeah. In terms of what you're reading currently, what are you reading your way through? I am reading Erebus by Michael Palin. So it's about the ship Erebus, which was the it, it kind of it was built as a warship but it ended up being like a, a kind of science and expedition ship and it went it was the ship that went the furthest south to the Antarctic at that point so it was in the 1840s but then it went after that it went on um, a voyage to the to try and get through the northwest passage and it was it was lost in its sister ship the terror was lost and there was actually a tv show called the terror recently which my husband watched which is why he then bought the book Erebus and, and I'm now reading it it was lost and nobody knew what had happened to it. Um, and it was only, I think, 2014 or something, they actually found the wreckage of it under the sea. And they were able to kind of find kind of find out what happened to it. But I've not got to that bit yet. I'm just they're kind of in their first voyage south to the Antarctic. And it's just kind of crazy. You think about these men who went off for, like they went off for like three years at a time on a ship and lived on the ship and uh, all together. And, and they were in Antarctic. There was icicles apparently on the ropes. They were freezing. And, and it was kind of a... A voyage of expedition but a lot of that involved like killing <laughs> killing anything they saw and then bringing it on board to examine it but that, that was just kind of the way it was and then because they were seeing things that no one had ever seen like they, they were the, the ship that went the furthest south so they were just naming things that they found they were like oh I'm just going to call that mountain blah 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 they, they didn't like have to put it in writing or anything they were just like this this is now called that and they would name it after like their family members or anything. So there's all these things in the Antarctic called after Ross because it was James Ross who was the, the kind of the captain of this era of this ship. They were the first people that found this land. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's really interesting. And Michael Palin's just like a really easy. I really really like Michael Palin anyway, and he's, he's kind of got a nice humour as well. But it's, he's kind of read all the journals and done all the research, and it, he's, he writes it in a really nice way to read. It's really easy and to understand, and doesn't go into too much kind of shipping detail, which I don't really understand. It's it's, it's really good. And do you, in terms of of what you're reading or, or what what you're going to read, do you just once you finish that book, do you then just see what it's maybe about or what what kind of mood you're in before you decide what you're going to read? Yeah, that one just. My husband, yeah, he was watching that terror. And it was funny because I was trying to write in the evening. So I was in the room next door and the terrors, it's kind of imagining what happened to them. And it, it, I don't even know what happened, but the music from it is absolutely chilling. So it's obviously some horrendous thing that they imagine happening to them in that TV show. And so I was sitting in the kitchen writing and all I could hear was this like horrendous music coming from the, the TV. 
in the next room and I was like what is this so he's handed me this book Erebus but it's not this is obviously like kind of the true story of what happened not this kind of fictional account so I'm just reading that because he said oh it's really good and I like Michael Palin but yeah I mean I saw my mother-in-law at the weekend for the first time in ages and she handed me an Ian Rankin book called Westwind which I've not read I've read most of the Rebus books but apparently that was a book that he wrote ages ago and it was kind of lost and then he's re he's kind of I don't know if he sent out to publishers and they, and they didn't want it but she thought it would be interesting for me just because it was one of the first things that he wrote and now it's been published all these years later and she thought just as kind of a from a writing point of view it's kind of an interesting thing to read because she says he writes a wee introduction at the start explaining how when he first wrote it and then how he then found it and then kind of reworked it to make it what it is today so I think that might might be next. Because the one I'm looking forward to this year uh, Ian Rankin writing the kind of unfinished William McIlvany Laidlaw book, The Dark Remains, which I think, I mean, fair play to Ian for taking that on because, you know, obviously people have a real strong affection for the Laidlaw books, so that'll be a tough audience when it does come out. Yeah, that's definitely a, yeah, a big shoes to fill, isn't it? Yeah, I, I can't remember if I read the third one. I've definitely read the first two, like Laidlaw, and then I can't even remember what the second one's called. So the second one's yeah. the Papers of Tony Veach. The Papers the of Tony Veach, that's it, that's it, yeah. That will be interesting, actually, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The book I'm reading just now is a book, is a Nick Hornby book called Just Like You. I'm kind of a big Nick Hornby fan from back in the day with things like Fever Pitch, High Fidelity and that sort of thing. And and I think he's a really good writer. This book is basically set in London and it's a woman, a white woman in her early 40s, a teacher, separated a divorce with a couple of young kids. And she meets the this guy, Joseph, who's like 22, he's black, he does a variety of part-time jobs while wanting to become like a music DJ in the sense of like mixing his own songs and stuff. So he works in, she meets him, he works in the local butchers, but he also does babysitting. So she gets him to babysit for the kids who love him because he likes PlayStation and knows about football. And then they kind of, there's a, some sort of spark between them and they kind of start this affair and fall in love or are they in love and the age gap and the kind of race differences and stuff it's the most implausible thing I'm reading it and I'm thinking I must have missed the page where there's this why I mean there's I think it's an 18 year gap between the couple which is a rarity anyway in relationships you know there's there are always age gaps but 18 years is a generational thing and from that point I'm thinking and I just couldn't see why like so he has a chance of a kind of relationship or even one night with a girl his own age and he, he rejects that because he has this feelings for this older woman she does the same thing with somebody her age and they're together and then they're apart and have other relationship and back together again and I'm just thinking I'm not buying it I mean I'm reading it because I think mm-hmm. Nick Hornby's really good sometimes particularly with the dialogue and stuff he can be quite funny but there is part of me that thinks is he written this and he's thinking this is going to be somebody's going to buy this and they're going to turn it into a tv series because it's you know because it touches on different these different issues because there's a scene where the, the young guy turns up at the, the woman's door and one of the neighbours calls the police because they just see this young black man chapping the door and the idea of the police stop and search and what have you and this is her first experience of what he experiences all the time I don't know there's a kind of sense of tick right well I've done that bit I'll take that off and I'm sure if it wasn't Nick Hornby's name I just can't help feeling that somebody would have said nah it's not for us we don't, we don't buy it we don't believe it that's kind of the main thing, isn't it? If you don't believe in what's going on, then it takes you out of the world of the book. And I think that's one of the things that I try and always do in my writing is no matter if you're writing anything kind of fantastical, you've always got to, even if it's in, yeah, something that like kind of that wouldn't really happen in real life, you've got to try and make the readers believe that what is happening is real. They've got to go with you. Otherwise, as you say, it just takes you out of it. And then you're just seeing it as artifice, aren't you? It's not a, a real yeah. world. That's a shame, isn't it? Because, I mean, he is good. I've, I mean, I've only read, I think, High Fidelity and Fever Pitch. I've not really read any of his more recent ones, but, I mean, those were good. And I, I like all the like, pop culture things he puts in as well. He's good at kind of setting that scene. So, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a shame. There's always a part in this where we, we kind of just go through some podcast recommendations. I'd mentioned a couple earlier on that I'd been listening to. So the RTE book show, so RTE is the kind of national broadcaster in Ireland and they have this great book show which is hosted by a guy called Rick O'Shea really good broadcaster they always get really brilliant guests on I mean they obviously get access to all the best certainly best Irish writers they have this bit where you know they always engage a book club from somewhere in Ireland who have read the book but then are allowed to ask questions to the author it's half an hour of just really engaging book chat and it's kind of similar to the, the you know Radio 4's books and authors show which they also get as a, as a podcast. And again, 
There's now two hosts. One of them is Elizabeth Day, who's I think is really good in terms of broadcasting. And again, it's just especially if you're out for a walk, just half an hour of people chanting about books, which is really good. That sounds interesting. It's one I've not really, it's not really got on my radar yet. It's good to get recommendations, isn't it? Because there's so many podcasts now, we're kind of overwhelmed by them. And it's good to get a good recommendation of a good books one. So, so yeah, it's maybe one I'll, I'll check out. I've been listening to quite a lot of podcasts when I'm at work. My kids are now like, Mum, is that another podcast? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're certainly, they're certainly it's, a, it's a growing business. Because the other one that I want to shamelessly plug is, and I've mentioned it before, is the other podcast that I've started doing, which is the Duran Duran Albums podcast, which goes to the heart of my musical love for Duran Duran, which has endured for 40 years now. And I do, I've started doing this podcast with a friend, Molly Williams. She's originally from America. She's now based in Manchester, but she's another big Duran Duran fan. Each episode, we'll just go through each of the albums and then just talk about them track by track and just our memories of being the age we were when we listened to them. I've been interviewing other people who are involved in the kind of Duran Duran world and what have you. And honestly, it's, I listen back to them. You know, that way, I don't know if you ever find this, you know, like sometimes when you write something, you all, this is why you always need somebody else to read what you've written eventually, because, you know, sometimes you'll write something and you'll sit back and you'll go, yeah, that's really good. You know, like, well done, Katrina, or like, well done, Paul. I listen to back to my Duran Duran podcast and I think, I really enjoy that. But I, I don't know if it's just me loving the fact I'm sitting talking about my favourite band. I think, I think a lot of, like, the podcasts that are the best are the ones that, that come out of this love of something. And I guess that's why people start them, isn't it? Because they love something and they want to talk about it and discuss it and look at it and in more detail yeah I must admit I only really know like the kind of the famous Duran Duran singles I wouldn't know any album tracks or anything so maybe I'll, I'll have to have a listen and then and then bring up maybe Duran Duran on my on my Spotify yeah I know you I know you're just saying that to be nice to me <laughs> I was saying that on the, the Duran Duran podcast I've been interviewing various people and one of the people that I interviewed was Elisa Lorello, who wrote that memoir, Friends of Mine, that I was talking about earlier on. And over and above that, she's a, a best-selling author over in the United States. So I also got her on the Read All About It podcast, just talking about some of her favourite books. So she's going to be coming up on the next podcast. So here's just a wee clip. Uh, she's based in Montana. Uh, so this is Elisa Lorello, who will be coming on Read All About It podcast. <laughs> Was it was Judy Bloom, which would be oh, yeah. suppose, the big author for you in your childhood? Oh, totally. Yeah. And it's funny because it, I kind of got late into adulthood before I realized just how much of an influence she's been. When I started my, you know, when I really got serious about writing novels, I was citing two screenwriters, actually, Aaron Sorkin and Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron, best known for When Harry Met Sally, Sorkin, best known for A Few Good Men and The West Wing. And I was citing them as my, you know, most influential authors. But the older I was getting, I was realizing, you know, all those Judy Bloom books <laughs> um, just seeped into like my DNA. And again, I think it was, I was almost taking them for granted how influential they had been to me. And then I, I did an online, you know, that there's that website masterclass and I took the Judy Bloom course and I was just absolutely blown away by it and just realized oh yeah I and again it was both as a reader and a writer and I'm a creature of habit which is a good thing and not a good thing I mean I'm it's you know I like an author and, and then I try to read almost everything that author's ever written and then I read it over and over and over again you know like I'll read the same books multiple times or I do that with TV shows or I do that with you know movies or music you know um so I tend to be a creature of habit that way. But yeah, all I, I, when I think about it now, yeah, she took up basically from age 10 to 13, probably, you know, that was yeah. just all I was reading at the time. The last thing that we, we always chat about on the Extra Extra podcast, Katrina, is just what we're planning to read next. And obviously, you know, I was asking you what, you know, do you have an idea of what you're planning to, to read next or do you know, or are you just going to wait till you finish the Michael Palin book? Yeah, well, I've got that Ian Rankin book, but I actually, I got the, this book arrived today, actually. So it's called The Mash House by Alan Gillespie. 
and it was actually I don't, you heard of Unbound Publishing it's it's almost like a kind of crowdfunding thing yeah, yeah. where you yeah uh -huh. so it I did it ages ago on crowdfunder and your name gets put in the back of the book if you if you sign up for the crowdfunding just because I kind of aware of Alan Gillespie as a Scottish writer I don't really know much about him but it sounded an interesting book so yeah it just arrived today so it sounds it sounds quite interesting and then I also I ordered I got that caboodle thing I also got a free book because I'd amassed so many points and you could choose a book from all these different books so I chose this Patty Smith Just Kids um, which is about her kind of early years in New York and I actually don't know much about her at all but I feel I kind of should because she's one of these like figures in music um, that's so influential so I, I've got that hopefully coming and then I, I wanted to reread Remains of the Day just because I listened to a a Shiguru interview recently and then I heard Remains of the Day being talked about somewhere else and again it was one of these things where I kept hearing it being mentioned different places and it's been so long since I've read it I kind of felt like I wanted to reread that so I think those ones are going to be kind of next on my on my to read list. One of the previous guests in the podcast a guy called Aidan McQuaid he had published his first novel called The Undiscovered Country through Unbound Books through a crowdfunding thing and that fascinated me at the time just how, how that came about not so much the, the model of crowdfunding, the, the fact that you could be successful in getting a, a book crowdfunded like that, which I think is an excellent thing. It's really good. It's actually, this is the first one. I've actually ordered a second one called One Track Minds or something. It's like a spoken word thing that's run in London and people take a song that's meant something to them or had some sort of significant impact on their lives. And they, they were doing kind of monologues about it on stage. And they're now trying to put it together into this book. And one of the girls I was at uni with, she actually... She's got a really cool job in London. I think she does captioning for like theatre and stuff like that. But she was one of these one track minds. It was down in London, so I couldn't see it. And I kind of wanted to see what her piece was about and stuff. So she's going to be in the book. So I'd ordered that as well. But that's at a kind of earlier stage. It's, I think it's being fully funded now, but it's at the kind of earlier stage. So it's not quite ready to be edited and sent out. So that will be coming from Unbound as well. But that's that's the only two I've ever bought from there. And that, that was the first time I was really aware of it as a, as a publisher. I've got a couple of books that I'm planning to read next. One is a, it's a kind of novella called The Curious Dispatch of Daniel Costello. It's the book one in a series of what's called The Stonebridge Mysteries by a guy called Chris McDonald, who, again, was a previous guest on the podcast. And it's called, it's this thing called Cozy Crime, which I had never really been aware of before talking to him. And a couple of people have quite often, they're more gentle. You know, it's not like hard-hitting, hard-boiled. There's not, I don't think there's any blood and guts. Quite often it's not a murder. A lot of the violence happens off the page. Is that kind of like the Richard Osman kind of crime? Yeah. I'm sure. Has he not been described as kind of... Yeah, it's that sort of idea where there's a kind of slightly gentle... The crimes are there, but it's a slight, not, I mean, not a comedic element, but you know, quite often the detectives aren't detectives. You know, they're, they're maybe amateur sleuths, as it were. So I was quite curious to, to read one just to see the kind of style of it. So I, I've got that coming. And the other book I'm going to read is a, it's a book called In Praise of the Useless Life, a monk's memoir by a, a guy called Paul Quenin, who's a Trappist monk and he lives in this abbey in Kentucky. And he's written this memoir of, of his life, kind of contemplative life in this abbey. And that, that kind of world absolutely fascinates me. I've watched, there's been a few documentaries on recently. There was a, a series, they'd repeated it over Easter of meditations in a monastery. And it was three parts. They filmed it at three different monasteries in the UK. And it was an hour where not a lot happened. You know, there was not any, anything they had to tell you information. They just captioned it. So it was just filming these monks, you know, either in prayer. I think they start their day, starts at half four in the morning. Or what, what they did during the day in the different monasteries. And then there was also one that was on just a couple of weeks ago of a monastery down in England where, again, they were filming this world. They were interviewing some of these guys, but it was a kind of dying community as it were. It's not, you know, a lot of men aren't getting into that world now. But it absolutely it fascinates me because... A friend of mine goes, there's, a, there's an abbey called Pluscarden or Pluscarden up in Moray. And you can yeah, go... Yeah, I know, actually. My mum's my kind of into that sort of thing. So we went to visit it a couple of times when we were kids on family holidays up there. You can sign up for a retreat and you can go and effectively you can live according to the almost like a timetable. So like maybe you're going to put half on the morning for the first prayers and then they finish the day, finish at half seven. You're kind of expected or to take part in the daily, whether it's cooking or cleaning or whatever, but there's also loads of time for either prayer or contemplation. And it sounded, he spoke about it a few times, and I thought prior to the pandemic, it was a thing that I wanted to do because I like that idea of basically taking yourself away almost from the world, no phone, no laptop, you maybe have a book or a notepad, and just a bit of time to think and pray. And it's just almost like I'd live life at a different pace. 
yeah, I think some of these are cheats, yeah, because you, you get all these kind of writing repeats and things anyway, don't you? But yeah, I've always thought that would be a nice, a nice kind of thing to do, as you see, at a slower pace. I mean, the closest I think I ever came to it was when I did my MA in creative writing and we had like a week's kind of summer school. Um, it was an online creative writing thing, but we had a week summer school where we all went and we all met each other. And it was like a week of just living and, as you say, eating together, but then writing and doing workshops and things. And you come away feeling really kind of energised after it, I think, and, and really ready to keep going. So, yeah, and that was on obviously not as kind of intense as, as something like that. Because I, I think the monastery certainly... There's not a lot of conversation because I think even at mealtimes, it's the silence and somebody's reading some religious text. So you're listening to the word of God while you're eating. And there's very, very few pockets in the course of a week or in a day where you could converse. And then, as I say, you're obviously even just the fact that I think there's eight stages of, of a, their day where there, you know, there's some sort of prayerful aspect of it and you're expected to be part of that. But I, I just, the whole, that whole world fascinates me. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading that memoir. Yeah, that sounds interesting, yeah. Now, sadly, we have come to the end of the podcast. As always, it's been really enjoyable chatting books with you, Katrina. Yeah, no, it's been good. Thank you for having me back on. And I, I will have to, at some point, we obviously will be able to meet up face-to-face, so I'll have to rack my brains for, for thinking what, what we can present to you for your hat-trick of appearances on the, <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll look forward to that. And also... Best of luck. It's yeah, us, yeah. So us versus the going well at, at, Yeah, the end of the year. So Fingers actually. crossed for that. Yeah. I look forward to that. And obviously, I look forward to the next time that you come on the podcast. Mm-hmm.